0: Today's scripture reading is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 21. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, Grace DC, and welcome to our Sunday service. I'm Pastor Glenn, and excited to continue the study of what it means to follow Jesus as we look at the Gospel of Mark. Recently, uh, one of my daughters introduced me to the film Coco, and uh, you may have seen it. It got a lot of praise. Uh, It tells the story of Miguel, who is a 12-year-old boy who has a passion for music. It's his desire to follow music and to follow in the footsteps of his great-great-great-grandfather, who was a singer and guitar player. But there's only one problem. Miguel's family has cursed music. They have banned it from their family. And so in order for him to follow this dream and desire, he has to nurture his call in a different way. He does that by way of uh, watching this great singer and memorizing his songs and memorizing his words, especially this, this uh, you know belief that you should seize your moment. And so you'll find, Miguel, when times are tough, watching the videos and going over the words. It's often the case that before we begin to follow something, that we feel a call deep in our hearts. Something that grips us, grips our imagination, our vision, and our desire. And that is certainly the case when people begin to follow Jesus. And we see it in the passage as Jesus calls his first disciples. And as we do, there are a few essential things about following Jesus' call that we learn. One is that we must submit to the the authority of Jesus' call. The second, that we must admit to the urgency of Jesus' call. And thirdly, that we must commit to the priority of Jesus' call. So let's look at those three things together. First of all, to submit to the authority of Jesus' call. Now, are there any two words more distasteful and offensive to modern people than the words submit and authority? I don't think so. We immediately translate that as oppression, suppression, maybe even abuse. But what if we had an example of authority that was exercised legitimately and humbly and for the good of other people. This past week, there's been many tributes to the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And what's been striking about it, as I've read some of these, it's not so much the comments of her supporters, but even those who would be her opponents. In fact, they interviewed uh, such a man who was down near the Supreme Court And he said, I I basically stood against everything that Justice Ginsburg stood for, but I can't discount that she was a stable, strong and professional justice. Likewise, a former governor of New Jersey, who was a Republican, uh, Christina Todd Whitman said, Ginsburg was a powerful woman who assumed that role with humility She was an exemplary public servant, in every sense of that term, she used her position of power on behalf of others. So we do, in this day and age, uh, get a glimpse of legitimate authority exercised in a humbly way for the good of other people, and that ought to open us up to the idea of seeing that as we follow Jesus Christ. Number one, no one has a greater claim to authority. Mark begins his gospel by stating that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what that means is in Christian theology, God is understood to be tri personal. That is, there are three who are God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark is saying that the Son became a real person. He became Jesus Christ, and he walked among us. Yet, he was divine which means uh, there is no one with more authority than Jesus. And you see him demonstrating this throughout his ministry. You see it as he commands power over nature, as he commands power over evil, as he, uh, in his own life, uh, is able to lay it down and take it up, his resurrection from the dead. You see it as he heals diseases. But we also see it in small ways in this passage, in the way that he chooses his disciples. Sometimes uh, a student can choose to take a class or we can uh, decide to join a team. But there are other times the teacher decides who's going to be in the class or the coach decides who's going to be on the team. Right. Well, in in Jesus's day, it was common for students to choose their rabbi. But Jesus reverses that. He's the one that, that initiates the call with his authority. And we see it in the response of the disciples, the way they respond immediately to follow him. Now, in the case of Peter and Andrew, it may have been because they were in John the Baptist's circle that they had some exposure to Jesus or John did as well, but either way, as he personally calls them, they go. They feel led, they go by their own volition and desire. And we see his authority in the fact that he comes inaugurating a kingdom, which means by implication that he himself is a king. If you can grant for a moment that God exists and grant for a moment that God may have the power and love to actually come among us as Jesus did, then we must also grant that no one has a greater claim of authority in our lives and over our lives. But what might be even more compelling is the humility of his authority. Now, we see this again in small ways, the way that he invites his disciples, or we see it in his prayer life, because prayer, when it's done right, is an act of humility and dependence upon God. But Jesus teaches this explicitly later in Mark 10, when he sees his disciples getting off track, where they begin to long and lust for worldly authority, You know, they're beginning to enjoy uh, some power as he has given them power. And Jesus sees this and he pulls them aside and says, Now you've seen the way that the world exercises authority, but not so with you. The least among you will be the greatest. And of course, he would give them his example. He was that example to them. He, this great king, would wash their feet as a common house servant. He would stand in their place as a sinner, though he was sinless, and bear humiliation. Jesus himself would be this model of humility throughout his life. The Apostle Paul talks about this, and he he articulates it in such um, an elegant way, a powerful way, when he says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the very form of a servant being born in the likeness of men he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death the lord of life humbles himself for our sake to the point of death friends you might study the history of every leader that's ever lived both men and women But nowhere will you find someone with greater authority, but more so greater humility to match that authority, or who exercises that for our good. We see this as Jesus uses his authority to heal, to liberate people from the domination of evil spirits, in his ability again to lay down his life and take it up through resurrection. His authority to conquer sin through becoming an atonement for sin. I was reading recently of um, the great Hall of Fame coach, Georgetown coach, John Thomas Jr. He uh, passed away and family and players were giving tributes to him. And uh, Allen Iverson said, "Uh, thanks for saving me. I'd give anything for one more phone call with you. If you have a chance to serve under a great leader or a great boss or a great coach, It it, it often is the case for those that do, at the end of their life, surprisingly, they'll say that their greatest privilege of life was actually serving under their authority. Isn't that curious? That the greatest honor they had was to be under this person because of who they were. That's what it's like to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what it's like to follow Jesus Christ. But also, we need to admit to the urgency of Jesus' call. Now here, we see the call of Levi or Matthew. And Matthew had built his career as a tax collector. And tax collectors regard, were regarded by their fellow countrymen as morally and patriotically an offense. One, because they worked for the enemy, Rome, but also they were known to uh, take more money than they should. And imagine that, taking money from your uh, fellow uh, brother countrymen when they're already suffering under oppression. And so the fact that Jesus would call a tax collector and then go party with his colleagues, it, it was shocking, appalling, especially to the religious leaders. They come and they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You might think about uh, a particular group in modern culture that if you saw Jesus with, you, you would think, how in the world could he ever spend time with them? And uh, Jesus' replied to them is, because the sick need a doctor. Because the sick need a doctor. Now, why did the religious leaders not understand that? Well, in short, it's because... They had lost their urgency to see their own spiritual condition. They had failed to see the urgency of their spiritual condition. And we can see this uh, in the way that Jesus interacts with them throughout the Gospels, particularly in how they viewed sin. They had lost, uh, first, an understanding of the depth of sin, uh, the religious leaders saw sin primarily as an action and not a desire you know if If you tend to see sin is mostly actions and you don 't move into the world of motive and desire, well you can feel pretty good about yourself. But the Ten Commandments end with a commandment to not covet right. That's about the heart. So when Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, which is him essentially reinterpreting the law of Moses, he says to them, uh, let's not just talk about adultery, but let's talk about lust. You see, when the Spirit of God begins to work, he begins to show us the depth of our heart, the envy in there, you know, the anger in there, the frustration in there depth of our sin. They had lost that, but they had also lost uh, the true focus of sin. They were far more aware of other people's sins than their own. Basically, uh, they had adopted this mindset that the problem with the world are other people. That's the problem with the world. And I mean, we basically lived that day, right? This idea that... Uh, you know, if I could have a nation of people just like me, or a city of people just like me, or a family of people just like me, or a church of people that are like me, that have my theology, that like my way of worship, that embrace all my political views, if we could have that, then it would be a much better world. Jesus said essentially that's looking at the speck in someone else's eye and failing to see the log in your own eye. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if for every post someone made pointing out the moral failures of another, they posted three of their own failures? You see, when the focus becomes the problem are the other people around me, we've lost the focus of sin. But lastly, uh, they misunderstood the offense of sin. That is, they failed to distinguish between actual sin and transgression, in just being personally offended. Um, Jesus once challenged the religious leaders, show me where I'm sinning. Prove me from Scripture, from God's Word that you're experts on and study. Show me my sin, where I failed. And they had nothing to say. Jesus isn't sinning by spending time with Matthew and these tax collector. It just offends them. And again, we have to think about our own lives, right? There are times that we misinterpret the same. Um, an example for my own life, you know, I'm in a hurry and I'm in the grocery store. And uh, the person in front of me, the customer in front of me, and the person on the register are talking. They're having a conversation. That is, they're not just doing business, they're actually relating, Right showing friendship, or maybe the customer decided to say, how's your day going? And I find myself offended because, hey, you're slowing me down. They didn't sin. I just felt offended. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, where is it where your heart is quick to feel offense? You know, Either the way your roommate, your housemate behaves, uh, maybe a comment that your spouse makes to you. Uh, Maybe it's the fact that someone supports or works for the current administration or the fact that they support BLM or they want to approach. What, What is it for you that makes you feel offense? And the question you have to ask yourself is, have they sinned? Have they transgressed the law of God clearly? The other thing that the Pharisees failed to see, it wasn't just sin. It was their view of righteousness. Jesus tells his disciples that uh, your righteousness must surpass that of the religious leaders of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, in what way? Well, we, uh, thankfully, we have a, an example of a Pharisee that went from one view of righteousness to the true view of righteousness, and that's the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee. And if you go to Philippians 3, he talks about, well, my view of righteousness basically was where I came from, what I achieved, my moral performance, the position I had. That was my sense of this is who I am and my boast before God. But then he met Jesus and he began to say something else. He began to say, what a wretched man am I. He began to see the true condition of his heart. That his righteousness was really just, you know, a version of fake news, right? We complain about fake news, but we got a fake news cycle that's going on all the time, right, (laughs) with people. The religious leaders were pretentious. Jesus in the scriptures called for a pure heart before God. But you know something? Uh, Repentance or understanding righteousness isn't just saying, Paul didn't just say, what a wretch I am. He said, thanks be to Christ in his gospel. Jesus doesn't just call us to repent, he calls us to believe the good news. And so for us to admit the urgency of Jesus's call, it's not just urgent that I see the condition of my heart, and it is, it's also urgent that I apply the grace of God to my heart. And I would ask you, are you urgent about that? Each day, as we wake up, it's not only I I need to bring my heart before God, I need to admit my need for the gospel, but I also need to admit, or rather embrace, the grace that God has given. Because one of the things that we learn here is Jesus loves to eat with sinners, He is drawn to sinners when you and I are in that place where we just feel like we're wretched and we think, you know, everybody stay away from me. Or maybe we just fear everybody will. That's the exact time you hear a knock at the door. And it's Jesus because he loves to sit with people who have been able to own the heart that way. And in that time, he loves to Counsel us and comfort us with his grace, with his limitless forgiveness, the fact that he his righteous life is now our righteous life. and so that you and I find that we we begin to understand a true sense of righteousness, and more so, we begin to practice a a, a gospel hospitality, I like to call it hospitality, which folks at Grace downtown uh, get tired of me saying. Pastor Russ said last week, uh, you know, we're led to not just identify as sinners, but with sinners. I mean, think about this for a second. Matthew, after he follows Jesus, immediately calls together his group of corrupt and sinful friends and says, I'm sure Jesus would like to have a meal with them. Now think about that. Jesus is the holiest person on the planet. Typically, you and I are going to edit out and find out. Well, I'm going to introduce this person to that, but, but you know, maybe maybe it's like uh, which which friends you're not going to introduce to your your parents. So why is it? Why is it that sin, sinful people would stay miles away from the religious leaders, but not Jesus? Because he loved sinners. And it's at that point that we actually begin to become fishers of men, as he said. You know, we begin to practice a different sort of hospitality. But other than admitting the urgency of our call, lastly, we need to commit to the priority of Jesus' call. As Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and John and James Um, we see something of the priority of the call as they leave their careers, their vocations, and their family. Now, it's clear they have a particular call, right? They're going to be disciples. So uh, we don't want to mistake this as saying that uh, to follow Jesus means everybody has to quit their job and leave their homes. Uh, Later, Peter will actually see him fishing again. John will take Jesus' mother into his home. The point is about priority. There's a helpful quote that Tim Keller gives us, and you can see it on the screen. I'll read it. Absolutely everything is to be approached differently when a person becomes a Christian. A new attitude of serving God and his kingdom and purposes affects our work life, family life, and every other facet of life. Sometimes no formal changes will be seen, but even then a new approach and motivation will be underlined whatever we do. If you say, I'll obey you, Jesus, if my career thrives, if my health is good, if my family is together, then the thing that's on the other side of that is your real master. That's your real goal. But Jesus will not be a means to an end. He will not be used. He must be the goal. Jesus calls us to a kingdom. Uh, One definition of kingdom is uh, God's, uh, God's power over... sorry... The king's power over the king's people over the king's place. This is what the kingdom reign means. It's three strands together. In our network, our purpose is to be in and for the city. One of the reasons we say that is we understand that the kingship of Jesus doesn't just have to do with my spirituality or my morality. It has to do with a community, a place. It has to do with a city. It has to do with other people. This is kingdom in the Bible. And as we engage in that, as we commit to that priority, something strange happens, even a paradox. And Jesus talks about it. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. One of my friends, uh, dear friends, and a wonderful songwriter, Scott Rowley, uh, wrote a song about this very passage, and he he says something in it that just really, I think, is a a helpful insight, that uh, on that day when Peter let go of his nets, uh, he let go of something else. He began to experience freedom from pride. That was the day where Peter would begin to be liberated from the pride that would dog him. John or Matthew, on that day where he left his role as a tax collector, it wasn't just he left the job. It was the day where he found freedom from greed. It was the beginning. What do you want to be free from? What is it that you long and your heart aches to be free from? Maybe it's free from anxiety and fear. Maybe it's um, free from just constantly wanting something in the world and just in this cycle of I want it too much and then I'm disappointed, then I'm depressed. What is it that you just long to be free from? It may be that freedom happens when you actually leave something behind. In the chorus of the song, uh, Scott says, uh, It's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind. It's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind. And this is what the Lord does. You know, we, we have our love for the world, but when you open your heart to the love of Jesus, you begin to experience uh, chains falling to the ground. This idea of prayer being, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He who did not spare even his own son, how much more along with him will give us all things. As you and I commit to the priority of Jesus, what we find isn't loss, we find gain. But God is calling us to believe his word and to take that step of faith just as the disciples did and that's a step i want to urge you to take even today it may be that god has um, begun that work and revealed to you your heart and that you can't be your own savior and you could succeed as much as you want in washington and that won't save you either and that as you explore other philosophies and religions essentially you're being invited to be a co-savior to sort of save yourself. But it's this gospel where you can come to Jesus today and find yourself following salvation, following the Son of God who loves you. And it could be today that you and I begin to get free from something as definitive as it was on that day for Peter and Andrew and James and John. Today becomes a definitive day for you. If you're a professing Christian, don't doubt you have the spirit of Jesus in you. And so, as we think about the call of Jesus and the authority and the urgency and the priority of it, let's let's embrace that call with confidence. Would you pray with me? We are so grateful for your call that you seek out sinful people, wayward people, and you call them with your voice, Lord. Would you do that? Would, would we hear your call right now in Christ's name? Amen.